Welcome to Say That Podcast, where you read questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Ben Fitzgerald, the founder Let's of Michigan. Let's do it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> You're resurrecting that bit from 200 episodes ago? I love it. I just love it. The first two years we did this show, we lost 10 minutes per recording session yeah. to Glenn pretending not to know how the intro worked. Yeah. Sometimes you got to bring back the classics. That's right. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Good to be here. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Guys, this is a true story. A, a kid that came to our uh, high school Bible study tonight lost her complete mind and was totally, totally thrown off course when somebody informed her that Funyuns don't actually have onions in them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, they life do. is cruel but hilarious. They are chock full of fun. That's so. definitely true. <laughs> so you, well, at least you got that. Up to a certain age. Yeah. Dude, about, I, I will about eat 28. Funyuns, well, they're delicious, but they're not fun. They more taste like heartburn and regret. Yeah. <laughs> I will eat a Funyun. Just, I mean, yeah. a salt lot. and sadness. Yeah. I will I I will eat all the funyuns you got. That's right. Yeah. That's when I stop eating funyuns when there's no more funyuns. That's right. That's right. Wasn't there a spin-off funyun type thing where they tried to color it green? I think they did like a red one that yeah. was like red hot sure, like, funyun or hey, something. It's closer to the the color of an organic thing might be. Yeah. <laughs> Try <laughs> that on for size. It was sort of an atomic red looking like, <laughs> sure. you know. A little bit of a glow. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you sort of hate yourself. Sure, sure. But you got you got to eat all the fun. Absolutely, have. they're delicious. They're, they're in the you'll kind of hate yourself aisle at the grocery store. With yeah, the, that's right. The Doritos and the Pringles, <laughs> whatnot. You knew what this is. <laughs> Just the vanilla wafers. You yeah. don't need these. Just put it in the cart. <laughs> Advertising's gotten a bit aggressive. <laughs> Well, we we are recording on the eve of the Academy Awards. This oh. will come out the, you know, the, ne- the next week. But that got me thinking about movies. Ah. And I... Wait, we were recording this when the Academy Awards are happening? Bringing back all the old classics. Yeah, <laughs> it's like time travel and stuff. Because they're not happening now. No, no, no. But they'll happen later. Yep. We, re- we record when... here on March the 4th. Right. This will be released on uh, March the 15th. Well, now how does it get... Into the future. By time travel. Magic. Is it beamed into the future? It is. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying. The guy who tried to sell Glenn satellite TV did not have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mr. we're not beaming. Well, we're kind of, I mean, it bounces off a thing, but. It comes in from outer <laughs> space. Space TV. That's we can right. sell so many more units that way. Okay, but yes, we are recording the evening of the Academy Awards, which is not now. They're not hearing it on the evening of the Academy Awards. Right. We're already in a sci-fi concept state of mind. We're recording this in the past. Yes. Yes. Okay. You've got it. I've got it. Like, what is is it like dinosaurs roaming the earth outside? That's right. That's right. There's T-Rex like, out there right now. Like, if you lean on the wrong lever, it just starts uh, counting back to, That's like, right. you yep. know. That's right. The dawn of man and the... Okay. Yeah, it's a real Back to the Future thing. We gotta make sure we don't do anything wrong and skew the timeline. Yeah. I knew you shouldn't have bought that DeLorean. Yeah. It was so cheap. But again, <laughs> speak, when we're talking about Grand Future, we're talking about great movies, and I have to declare a movie emergency. Ooh, wow. Ooh. This is an emergency of opportunity. Okay. Now, we've pitched many movies on this show before. Right. Many of them intentionally bad. Sure. Right. But I think we see a real market opportunity. Normally, the movies we talk about on the show. Somebody sends us a trailer to an awful Christian movie, and we have to, you know, dissect that. But I think we sh- we might try a whole new avenue of things and emulate good movies. What? Okay. So um, we we've all recently seen the Black Panther. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and earlier in the year, we all saw Wonder Woman. Yes. Right. And both of these movies had in common, you know, a group that hadn't really seen itself portrayed in a good superhero movie. Right. You know, and they re- people were really reacting to it. You know, right. uh, we've known uh, gals who Wonder Woman meant a lot to, and it's the warrior thing, and super cool, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Black Panther thing is, re- is very has a, a very particular look and cultural thing going mm-hmm. to it. So I thought, you know, I don't think there's really been a good Christian superhero, mm. right? Just one 
that is that doesn't make you cringe. Yeah, there there are superheroes in the canon who are Christian, right? But it's always the weirdest thing about them, yeah. right? Like right. we have to get seven minutes of Daredevil Ben Affleck doing a weird fake confession thing, right, or right. you know, it's a whole like. It's, for some reason, every Superman has to do a weird cross pose at some point. And are, and, and I know I know my comic book nerds are going to want us to talk about Nightcrawler, and we're, we're aware of the sure, Nightcrawler. Sure, we're all in. We're, we're aware of that. We yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. We know what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. But if we say to the group of people, maybe another thing is, I don't think this is accurate, but I think there are people in Hollywood who have thought, well, women don't go to see the superhero movies. Right. So make a Wonder Woman, and they can see themselves reflected in that. They'll enjoy it a lot. So there's a... A very large church-going uh, population in the United States. Not as much as it used to be, but that's right. you know, we'll fit, well, that's a different problem for a different day. Right. But so, yeah, a, a, a Christian superhero they could actually look up to. What 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 will we have on that? Wow. Hmm. He's just he's just not a weirdo. <laughs> that's his superpower. Wow. Right. Yes. He's, he's a Christian and just is not in any way a weirdo. His superpower is social competence. Wow. <laughs> An awkward guy. Oh, my God. Oh. Socially. Oh. Com- the, he's got a big SCC on his chest. Oh. Socially competent Christian. Oh. That's delicious. That is all. He just has an actual EQ. He knows how to be. It's just unbelievable. Yes. Like, how does he do it? Yes. Well, and he's got to do the uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman thing. Right. Where, you know, when Christopher Reeve played the the, the children in the 70s, there was a movie called Superman. (laughs) <laughs> and they like he actually flew. We right. it looked like he was flying. It was very clear that there was a guy in front of him with a fan right. spinning it so his hair blew back. Right. But oh how we were amazed in the nineties. Right. But so the thing was when he played Clark Kent, this is the amazing thing about the actor who played uh, Superman, was he was a totally different guy. Right. He was right. he was kind of bumbling and you know, not coordinated, and then he that was an act that Superman is putting on. Right. So what is emotionally competent Christian's secret Look. identity? I think he has to be as awkward as everyone else when he's not in costume. Well, it's got to be like a sweater. Is it like a deal when he's at church, he's a complete tool? Or is it like when, you know, like when he's around the other Christians, you know, they're all, you know, they're all fooled by this uh, secret identity. But then when he's out in the world reaching people, then he just knows how to be. Then he's down. Yes, that's right. That's right. right. That's it. Yes. Yes. To well, Glenn's point, he takes off his ill-fitting sweater <laughs> that's to, right. to re- reveal his his social competence and has normal conversations with people. He just strips off the sweater. It just says something that really helps people and encourages them. Exactly right. Like, whoa, what sort of insect were you bitten by that caused <laughs> that? <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, here's the thing, though. We need the villain. Yeah, because sure. that's the other. Sure. You got to have the. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a superhero movie, you got you can't just have a hero just walking around being a hero. Got to have the villain. You have to have a villain that's like fighting him. Sure. Trying to hold him down. Uh, and and also, first of all, if we're talking about a, a a superhero that is socially competent, that would have to be a man. Because if it was a woman, it would be. Just normal, sure. You know, sure. if it's a man, it's like, whoa, that's a superpower for right. for a man now. But this man has to have a villain, sure. Right, that's like the opposite of what he is. Sure, it's classic dramatic structure. Yeah, right, right. Yes, got a protagonist so, need an antagonist. Well, I, I I don't know exactly what the villains deal, but maybe we can start here. All your great villains have a scheme. Right. Yes. You know they're gonna they're gonna take over the world, or they're gonna plant the the nuclear device, or for some reason in a lot of older superhero movies, there are a lot of real estate schemes. Right. Right. Gene right. Hackman was just gonna buy up a bunch of stuff. We're, we're rounding pennies or something. Yeah. Lots lots of weird stuff on that. Um. So what would our our villain's scheme be? What's he gonna do? Well, it would have to involve laser beams in churches. Sure. Yes. Here, I've got it. Hit me. Our, our antagonist, and we're going to have to make him a pastor, but right. I think you all saw that coming anyway. Yeah. He's going to give, he's, his goal is world, is world church domination. Okay. Right. He can have so many lasers, he's going to get all the Christians into the one church, 
Right. And then he's going to give a sermon so long <laughs> <laughs> that they all just expire. Wow. Okay. He's going to wipe them out. Okay. Just lock them in and let them die. But right, here's right. the problem, yeah. though, Matt, is that a guy in a megachurch in the United States a few years back wrote a book and then actually preached a 24-hour sermon. This is re- this is the thing that already happened. happened. This, this is how sad the world is. I didn't know this that. This guy already exists. This supervillain is a thing. <laughs> Wow! Wow! I never, you, gentlemen. I never thought I'd have to say this on this show. We need to think more depraved. <laughs> <laughs> That's what? What? Why? No! Uh, no! No! All right, I, Lee. I love it. We're, we're going to we're going to pivot on this. We're going to do the first ever Dick Wolf produced okay superhero movie ripped from the headlines. Okay, our our evil uh, ne'er do well pastor villain is planning on getting a bunch of people in a room and giving a 24-hour sermon. Okay. Socially competent Christian has to stop him. Yes. Right. How do we do it? Okay. Well, I I picture the 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 villain because you like you're going to go get him. Sure. Yes. That's how you do in these movies. In his lair. In his lair, exactly. You got to be volcanic, his but I'm study. not married to it. Yeah, you know, it's you know exactly right. That's <laughs> yes. right. So, and he has he's surrounded by a fortress of books. Yes. Yes. That protect him. Yes, and he has he is built to robots. He's got to have a robot. Yes. What are we What are we doing here if we Absolutely. don't have a robot in the movie? Yeah. And it's a uh, they're they're extremely legalistic robots. Absolutely. They <laughs> and they go out and try and attack socially competent Christian man. Yes. Yes. And so you, he, he's he's got like an army of minions. Sure, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. You know, I think that's what's happening. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, I think the the minions, as you're pointing out, ro- I think robots is perfect, right? And they so c- socially competent Christian man has to um, just totally blow their circuitry, right? By effectively ministering to people, right? And then when they ask him, "Where did you go to seminary?" He goes. I didn't go to seminary. <laughs> wow. And their programming just can't handle it. That's, That's right. not compute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They yes. weren't prepared for it. Yeah, yes. They never saw him coming. That's yes. right. Yes. Yeah, he you know, he has a, the it's it's like the 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 villain has created uh he's he's studied a technique from like an evil ninja master person. Sure. That allows him to be so boring with what he says. <laughs> sure. That's like hit, hypnotizes them. Sure. And they're like, I think that was a good sermon. I can't remember anything yeah. he said. It's a very David Tennant and Jessica Jones thing, but instead of being uh, charming, he's so boring. He... Yeah. Sure, just, I love, so it. I love it, it. And so it's like uh, they're, now they're doing his bidding, and they got laser beams going in the church the whole time, and they, it's not until it's too late that he realizes he's turned these laser beams into like a ray gun sure. that's killing them. Right. So and that's boom. our that's our ticking clock is he's yeah. got he's got to shut down the laser beam projector. Right. right. Yes. Yes. That's may, right. Let me pitch this. I think anyone who's socially competent Christian needs to get on his side. Right. People in the room and he goes up to the sound guy he's like, "How you doing, man?" Yes. Like, what? 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 How's it going? What do you mean? And then, you know, within about 3 minutes of conversation he's like, why don't we just shut off these lasers? Are the lasers helping anything? It's like, no, I guess not. I don't. I don't even know why we have these lasers. <laughs> it like makes him question. Sure, it like breaks the spell. I'm on the, the elder board. I know how much these lasers cost. That can't be right. <laughs> I think that's a, a dramatic ending. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. I, I like it. I like this. I I think I want to see this movie. Sure. I'm a, I'm a socially competent Christian fan. I'm I'm I've already yeah. pre-ordered the Blu-ray. I I just I'm dying to see what it could possibly be. Yes. <laughs> yep. And uh, let's hope the first one works because we're already planning to make about four or five sequels. Oh yeah. Of varying quality. Yeah. We're gonna do it while we're here. Sure. Uh, that's that where case, the money is. <laughs> in that case, I declare emergency off. Franchise on. Ooh. Ooh. Now. Of course, we're going to need a little bit of capital, as we often do with these things. We're going to need to do some casting. We're going to need to build some sets. We're going to need, ironically, a lot of our own laser beams on this. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we, we, we have some guesses on how much some laser beams cost. They don't come cheap. Yeah. So if you'd like to get on the ground floor of the superhero sensation that will surely 
be sweeping the world very soon. You can go over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Ah. Only $8 a month. Get on the ground floor. You know, at some point we'll get you a socially competent Christian man t-shirt and uh, right. your friends just won't believe it. <laughs> they literally won't believe it, having oh, not sorry. seen such a thing <laughs> in a very long time. But for now, you'll also get our bridge box that comes out every month. Songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of goodies based around a topic. We are still in the month of March for our topic is how do I move past shame? A lot of great stuff. Sermons from Glenn and myself, songs from uh, Jed and Lee and our friends Pete and Tasha Lawson, the error, um, mysterious pool house guru, mm-hmm. descended from his Himalayan mansion. <laughs> now, you want yeah. to get the Himalayan one mixed up with the Alps one. You know, there was a question came in on the, the Twitter yeah. that is the pool house guru Jed Brewer because, you know, he sings on a lot of those tracks. Sure. Right. I know that he provides lyrics on those tracks. Hmm. So there's an assumption that maybe it just is Jed Brewer. That sure. assumption is wrong. That's incorrect. So very, mm. very wrong. So it's a it's a mystery. A mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> we have our own secret identity situation. Yeah. Already existing in the Bridgebox ecosystem. That's why we're the people to do this project. So head on over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox and check it out for yourself. All right, we're going to move on to our first question here. If you have all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this. First question comes in, and it says, How do we know if we truly have the Holy Spirit? I have a teacher that talks about how the spiritual prayer language, I would think I do have the Holy Spirit if I'm following God's ways, being of service to others, and changing. I know I'm not doing it on my own. The Holy Spirit is helping me. But some people think you have to speak in tongues and stuff like that. What does God think? And a very good question. And Lee, why don't you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question, and uh, and I understand what it's like to to feel this way because there's, you know, depending on who you talk to on a lot of this Christian stuff, and depending on what church you go to, there can be a feeling that that yeah, you're you're in this Christian thing, but there's a way that you can turn it up higher. Um, there's a way that you can act to make it stick more to to. There's a way that you can behave or perform or whatever, and that's going to make you more in this in some way. And all that can be really unsettling. And um, and so, you know, when stuff like that happens, it's always good to know, like, well, what is really going on with this? This is a, a real quick verse out of Ephesians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says, You were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed... You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So what Paul is saying here is that when you heard the word of the gospel, when you heard the word and then you believed in Jesus, that you received the Holy Spirit, period. That's when you got the Holy Spirit. And what's really cool is that the New Testament gives us a lot of of clues as to what that means, what it means to have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Um, in this particular verse, he calls the Holy Spirit a, a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, this is a little foretaste of what it is going to be like to be with Jesus in heaven one day, just to have to have a new kind of life in you, a new kind of fullness, a new kind of a new kind of satisfaction, a new kind of uh, new affections, all that kind of stuff. And that's all really good. There's another place where Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. And there are times when you're down or times when you're hurting or times when your heart is broken and the Holy Spirit can comfort you in a way that nobody else can. Um, there are places in the New Testament where the, the Holy Spirit is, is called um, the, uh, your defense attorney. When you're feeling guilty or somebody makes you feel guilty or not enough or something like that, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart in your defense telling you that you are forgiven, telling you that you're a child of God. Um, there, You're going to encounter, as long as you walk with Jesus, you're going to encounter people who want to make you feel like there's something extra that you could do to turn this up, that you could be like super size saved. You know, like, yeah, there's a, people are, there's a, you know, a bunch of people that are saved, but you can supersize it by, by behaving in a certain way or by keeping certain things or by, or by doing certain special things that other people don't. And I would be wary of that because what the scripture says is when you believe in Jesus, you're all the way saved. You're all the way forgiven. You're all the way a child of God. And the Holy Spirit is all of those things for you, a comforter, the one who explains the scriptures to you, the one that defends your heart against guilt 
guilt and shame and tells you that you're a child of God, the one who is a deposit telling you and guaranteeing you of the inheritance that you've got coming. If you believed in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and, the, and, and having Him, you have a lot. Absolutely. I think it's a really fantastic place to start this off, and Glenn, I'd love to get you here. I think Lee pointed out a very important point here, and that's um, even more of this. We've answered a question about speaking in tongues on the show before. This isn't, in my estimation, I, and I think you agree, really what this question is about. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's this idea of being times just a symptom of what Lee's talking about, that supersizing it. Yeah. Of, okay, you're saved. Yeah. But are you ready to upgrade to the deluxe package? Right. Yeah. That's right. And you're going to kick it in here. And A, that's a very harmful idea. Yeah. And one, we need to understand where it's coming from to be able to root it out, right? That's right. It's not biblical. Um, uh, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You're connected. That's it. You don't get more of a branch. You're just, you're on. Now, we can certainly say there are people who have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and they are in no way paying attention to anything he's trying mm-hmm. to tell them. Right. So that's, if you want to tap into a deeper giftedness or something, maybe just listen, and uh, that would, that'd be a heck of a thing. Maybe more about the listening than the talking? That's right. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, but this over and over again, Jesus is telling us in the Bible, you have a sense of, uh, there's a rank, there's gradations, there's variations within all these things in terms of your salvation. Does not exist. He says, here's a vineyard owner. He hires these guys at the beginning of the day, pays them a certain amount, hires these guys in the middle of the day, pays them the same amount, hires guys at the end of the day, pays them the same amount as he pays the guys who worked all day. They, they say, what the heck is the deal? He's like, my vineyard, I do what I want, my man. This is how it goes. Everybody gets the same. Boom, that's it. The, he, he's made that as clear as he can be. But we like this idea of I'm I'm on the high rank and you're down there and you know that kind of thing. Uh, you have to get rid of that thinking because again, it's just not biblical. Uh, in terms of gift, any kind of giftedness or any kind of ability or any kind of uh, you know spiritual or mystical gifts, that's about God giving you tools to do the job that you need to do. And if you're not in a situation where you need to speak to someone else in a different language, that that tool may not be of use to you in that kind of situation. Uh, you know, God gives uh, people a gift for compassion. He gives them a gift for hospitality. He gives them a gift for encouragement. Uh, these are the gifts that we need to tap into. In fact, the, the Bible talks about that. He talks, it talks about a, a greater gift. And there's, there's a, a passage I think we, we really ought to take a look at. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians I'm starting in chapter 12 and verse 29. It's a very fascinating little piece here. It says, are all, dis- are all people apostles? Are all prophets? Are all of them teachers? Or do all of them work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Question mark. It's an interesting thing, though. If you look at the original Greek, there's a grammatic thing that happens with Greek that does not exist in English. And it's, it's a device where it, it, it indicates, I'm about to ask you a rhetorical question, and the, before I ask you the rhetorical question, I'm telling you the answer is no. Okay. <laughs> so if you read other translations, it will say, are not all apostles? Because they're trying to put the not part in there. I think probably a better way to translate that might be, are all apostles? No. Or do all have... Uh, gifts of healing? No, obviously not. Do, 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 does everyone speak in tongues? No. So it's the idea of God gives different gifts to different people. Uh, but then, it, 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 then verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And you think, well, what are those, and would they make me famous? Because hmm. that's, the, that's the thing I really want. <laughs> well, Where's um, your day to make me famous? I mean, him. Him. That was the key one. Him. That's right. So the we, quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. Well, okay. So here's what happens. That's the end of that chapter. And it's a lousy place to end a chapter. And that's just stuff that humans made up because it all runs together in the original thing. But the beginning of the next chapter is where he talks about the greater gifts. Yeah. Would you like to hear about them? Yes. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. He's saying being able to love other people and express that love, to express God's love to other people, that is the greater gift that he's trying to get you to get a hold of. So uh, this idea that uh, if, if I spoke in tongues, I would be on a higher level than someone who's being compassionate and loving and patient, exp- expressing God's grace and getting people close to the Lord, that's just right out. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really great place to take that. And Jed, let me get you close out by, again, I think we're having this kind of expanded discussion a little bit about what's going on in this situation. And it can be... Uh, prayer, it can be things like that, it can be uh, speaking in tongues, it can be, so we often talk about the show, uh, a certain amount of Bible knowledge. I think we're going wrong with anyone who's trying to make you feel like you uh, are a lesser Christian because pretty much anything, right? Yep, absolutely. If you've accepted Jesus into your heart, you're a Christian full stop. There's no greater than, less than. You're fully in. That's it. Uh, there, There's no gradations and no distinctions, and given that, don't let people make you feel less than in God's yes, house. That's right. Do not let people make you feel less than in God's house. To be crystal clear, this is what the Bible says, God's love and Jesus' blood are what qualify you. Period. The end. Here are things that do not qualify you. Academic knowledge, Uh-oh. book learning, a degree a prayer language, Mm. a musical ability, an enormous laser system, (laughs) an enormous sound system, an enormous budget. How about a big building? A big building. We're just talking about the rhetorical question where the answer is no to all of them. (laughs) That's right. None of those things qualify you. None of those things are able to qualify you. And in a sense, if you think about it, all of them are kind of an insult to God's love in Jesus's blood when we try and use them that way. Because on some level, we're trying to put them on par with God's love in Jesus's blood, which are the things that qualify us. The key thing is, you are fully loved and fully accepted and acceptable to God right now today. Don't let anybody mess with that. Don't let anybody try and put you under their thumb and keep you down, and they'll tell you when you're acceptable. That's nonsense, and it's not Christianity. And here's the key thing. If you're uh, around a church or a parachurch or whatever else where that's what they're trying to do, leave. Go somewhere else. You deserve to be a place where people love you and they accept you. They want to build you up rather than keeping you down. Don't let yourself be put under a yoke of slavery. Um, you were bought at a price. Live into the freedom God has for you. Absolutely right. I think the other thing that the other side of this corner talking about this people trying to make you feel less than it always goes part and parcel with trying to uh, pump their specific thing up. As Glenn has, as Glenn pointed out uh, very rightly and very well, um, even if there are other people at this church speaking in tongues, uh, which I've never encountered a situation where that actually was happening, but it happened in the Bible, so maybe it's happening. The Bible specifically, every time it mentions speaking in tongues, says, but that didn't make you special. Right. It's just a thing. Some people right. do this. And Glenn gave that list, of their, and those are things that are listed right alongside prophecy and speaking in tongues are teaching, encouraging, right. just being not a jerk to people. Right. These are all equal gifts. Being socially competent. Uh, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Oh. Easter eggs are everywhere. You're going to start seeing them now. So, and then there's interesting that in that uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, right uh, before where Glenn started reading is where Paul talks about the parts of the body. Right. And we're all right. of our bodies that the eye doesn't get to say to the yeah. hand, I don't need you. I got all my eye stuff taken care of. Exactly. And as, as Glenn pointed out, and you can, is one of the things I love about, about the, the new Testament and particularly kind of Paul's writings is I always feel like I can catch spots where he could just feel Christians trying to get away with stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, there's nothing against you righteous. No, not even one. Right. And just that kind of preemptive. Ah, no. Right. <laughs> Especially you, Steve. <laughs> you'd have to do that, right? Uh, it's yeah. like if you wrote fortune cookies. You'd have yeah. to slide in a super specific one every right. time. Right. You look stupid in blue, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> anyway, um, but so there's this idea of, you know, he says, you know, and in that chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, kind of starting in verse 21, point it says, you know, there are, there are these parts of the body that we think of as more important and more presentable and yeah. And that's not the way God thinks of it. That's not the way he put this that's right. all together. So 
there are some weird things about being uh, in leadership at a place where you're kind of the face of an organization or you're in charge, make the decisions, but no good leader thinks that makes them more important to the body of Christ than you are. Right. Now, if we're right. going to be entirely clear here, it could make them more important to that organization than you are. Yeah. That's, but that's a different thing. That's not the body of the, that's not the body of Christ. Right. Everybody has their own part. And as these guys are all pointing out, you're going to do a lot better if you kind of run away from the first sign of someone saying your part in this is to be not as good as me. Yep. Here's yeah. the, so here's the thing that's most important that I have that I might be making up and making the grading rubric for. But so you start out on that. You'll always be behind me. And don't worry, I'll find your own thing that you think you're good at. None of that. When you get in a good situation with good leaders, even if they don't exactly know how to do it, we put a lot of uh, pressure on pastors in this show because eh, that's the job, friend. But that's about uh, finding people who want to build you up into doing your thing while they do their thing. And good leaders see that as an advantage because that's something they don't have to do. That's right. If you've got that part, they can do their thing, and that's all the better for it. Okay, so we're going to move on. To our second question here, it came in anonymously. It says, Hank Glenn, a friend of mine, lives with her boyfriend, and they started going to church. My dad said that if they were really Christians, they would not insist on continuing in a sinful situation. He also said I should be bringing the matter up to them. I don't feel like it's my place to point out potential sins in my friends' lives and condemn them, but I'm also wary of hesitating because I don't always speak up when I should. Last night I read 1 John 5, 16-18, and was thrown off even more. Mm-hmm. And Glenn, as this came into your blog, which is quite popular. Look, it's the most popular blog in the world. We don't need to talk about it. Okay, it's just true, and that's it, and that's fine. Let's is, move on. Is that what you heard? Because I said quite popular. Let's focus on the question. Okay. Most popular <laughs> blog in the world. Now! <laughs> it, okay, in, in the spirit of focusing on the question, where would you start us off? Uh, here's the thing is... Uh, here, here's the deal, uh, Christians. I love you, mm. okay, but because <laughs> you have to. Here's what I need you to do: do not think that it is a special trick that you can see a sin and point it out. And here's another thing: do not think that the person you're telling about the sin thinks it's okay. That's the that's the general assumption. If you don't tell sinners they're sinning, they'll think it's fine. Uh, that's just not how life works. That's not how spirituality works. The Holy Spirit brings conviction in people's lives. He tells them what's up. If you earn the right to be heard in somebody's life, if you invest in their life, if you show them love, if you if they see you as a competent person to give them some spiritual guidance, there will be a moment where you say, this thing that you're into is definitely sub-ideal. And it's it may, in, in whatever case, it might be an unbiblical thing. It might be just an unhealthy thing. It's just not healthy for their lives. And Jim, stuff. you seem to drink 12 cups of coffee a day. That can't yeah. be good for you. Yeah, there's a point where a confrontation is good and healthy and smart, where, where you've established a, a situation where that can happen. But by contrast, you can you can work towards the positive end of that scale from day one. You know, you could tell them about God's love. You can tell them about how God wants the best for them. Uh, You could tell them about uh, the positive side of that thing from the beginning, and that only helps, and it will help you talk about uh, more corrective stuff down the line. But the idea of step one, tell people what's wrong with them, that's not good ministry. That's not what we do. Yep. You, you listen to people on this podcast, that's not what we're out there doing is playing right. the sin police. That's not at all what's taking place. Now, I I'm, I assure you, uh, you know, you're getting this advice from your dad. I assure you, I have confronted more sin by accident than your father's ever confronted on purpose. But I've only done that after I've earned that right to be heard, after right. I've got myself in a position where it's a welcome thing, where they, they know they have a struggle. They just don't know quite how to get things turned around. And you say, well, I think it's this thing that's holding you back. And that's that's part of that, that counseling type of relationship that you establish over time. But here's the big problem that we have with sin and pointing it out to other people. You all, Christians, and again, I love you, mm-hmm. you all think sin is an act. I lied that 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 was a sin. That thing that I did is a sin. I stole something. That thing I did is a sin. 
Sin is a state of being. You, it, righteousness is singular. God says, do this, I do this. It's, it's, I, I'm in a very temporary state of being righteous because I'm doing the exact thing the Lord is asking me to do. Sin is everything else. So if you're in a state of doing something other than what the Lord is directing you to do, you are in a state of sin. But uh, the verse that you referenced, 1 John 5, uh, 16 through 18, is talking about a sin that leads to death and other sins that don't lead to death. And of course, uh, everyone assumes they know what sin that is. The one I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. I have an unspoken sin that leads unto death. Right. But if you're thinking this is an act, an individual act, or a series of acts, or part of your lifestyle, etc., that he's talking about there, you're wrong because that's not how sin works. That's not what the Bible's talking about when he's talking about sin. Uh, the uh, the, the sin that leads to death isn't a type of sin. It's an attitude about sin. It's creating a, a, a situation. He's saying very simply, very basically, if you think something's a sin, you'll confess it and you'll move forward on that and you'll 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 make those changes and you'll grow and things will get improved. If you think this sin that you're committing is perfectly holy and righteous and there's nothing in the world wrong with it and you never confess it and you say, I believe this is you know, a, a perfectly lovely thing to do, then you will not be forgiven of that thing because you're not confessing it, right? But the, the, the leap that we're making here is just because someone is doing it and in this moment thinks, oh, I don't think there's anything really, really wrong with it. That's not the same thing as someone who's saying, shut up, God, I'm going to do it because it's holy and wonderful and perfect and I've decided and you don't have anything to say about it. Those are very different states of being. And it's also about recognizing there's all sorts of people that in the moment rationalize stuff to themselves, they justify stuff to themselves. And when that moment passes, they look back and they say, that wasn't quite it. And so it's about recognizing these things flow and shift over time uh, and, and recognizing uh, that people's attitude about their own sin can and does shift as the Holy Spirit works on their sense of conviction. It's a fantastic place to start us off, and Jed, I'd love to get you here. Um, I think Glenn gave us a really good uh, point in there that gets really does not get talked about enough when we're talking, particularly in this kind of situation, of people are doing a big fat sin, and now they're coming to church. Mm. So now it's my problem. Right. They're on my beat now. Yeah. Um, not really, because yeah. before we had sinners not going to church, and now we have sinners going to church. It seems like a not insane person would see this as a positive step. Quite. Uh, but a lot of people aren't on that. What do we think is holding them back on that? Well, and they have to act perfectly the moment they get into church. I know I do. Yeah. that's Well, that's what we do here. We mm-hmm. all pretend we're perfect. Amen. Yeah. Um, it turns out that, that drawing close to the Lord is a journey. Uh, oh, it's not like a switch that we flip, right? Oh, yeah, I know. Far out, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm supposed to pretend anyway. No. Oh, no. You're supposed to embrace the fact that it's a journey and a long one, and you're not very far along on it. Uh huh. Because that's reality, right? And we want to embrace reality. Yeah. So otherwise, we're living a lie, (laughs) which is bad, which would be sinful. Oh, so we want to be honest. So it's actively bad for me to pretend to be holy. Yes, it is. Oh. It is. Both theologically sinful and psychologically damaging. Yes. It's two great tastes that taste great together. You said in your question, um, a friend of mine lives with her boyfriend and they started going to church. That's great. That's fantastic. Two people were not going to church and now they are coming to church. Right. This is wonderful. This is what we want to see happen. This is why we have church. We have church <laughs> so that people who have problems can come to it. That's great. That's the whole point. This is wonderful. We should throw a parade. You know what we should do? We should throw a party to celebrate that someone is trying to come home to God's house, which is an idea I just had now that's original to me. But Jed, I like never left God's house. So I feel like I should get a really like a super cool party. And I feel like there's nothing in the Bible that contradicts my ideas on this. You're the villain in this story. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was me all along. Your older brother, Killmonger. You're trying to ruin this beautiful place. (laughs) 
Drawing close to the Lord is a journey. It's a journey for all of us. And again, it's wrong and counterproductive to resent where other people are on that journey. I mean, here's the thing. Let's just to paint a hypothetical. These people just started going to church, but... It would be one thing if they're rushed up the pastor say, we want to be on the, we want to be deacons beyond the elder board. Well, now we gotta we gotta look at things when they're not doing that. They have just started going to church. But let's say the pastor gets together with them and finds they're lovely people and they're both ready to make a commitment for the Lord, and they actually have a very, very strong commitment to each other, and it's wonderful and it's fine, and we build a relationship. And pastor says, you know what, you guys are really serious about each other and you have a great relationship. Why don't you just make it official and just get married? Well, you know, make make an honest man and woman of each other. What's you know, what's what's wrong about that? That's fine. That's down the road. That's later. That doesn't need to be today. We can't do all of these things at one point because this stuff is a journey. I think the other thing that we need to look at here, and again, by the way, that's pastor's job to figure that out. That's the reason he's the pastor, is it's his job to figure out when it's time to say something and when it's not. If your dad is not the pastor, it's not his call. (laughs) I can't emphasize that enough. That's right. And specifically, if he's not the pastor of this church, it is not his call. But this is the other thing um, about your dad is, would he like people to start pointing out the sin in his life? Uh Uh-oh. Because... Say what now? Yeah, because it it turns out uh, he super has sin in his own life right. because we all do. And he's comfortable cutting in on someone else who's running a good race. He sure is. They may be at the beginning of that race, but they're running a good race. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the numbers and the fact that pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry, he probably has sexual sin in his own life. If he, if we're passing out rebukes and confrontations and assertions that you're not a real Christian because of sexual sin, I think we need to ask if he's comfortable with return fire on that. Ew. Because what the Bible says is that's exactly what he's asking for. Um, Jesus said, judge not, lest ye be judged. Right. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Um, don't, uh, don't go around picking fights when you would lose that fight in your own life. That's, that's a bad call. One of the beautiful things, you know, here, I, my understanding is that one of the greatest things in the world is to be a grandparent because you get all the wonderful parts of little kids and celebrating them. But the, there's a, the moment there's a mess or a tantrum or anything, you hand junior back to mom and dad and say, Good luck fixing that. Well, here's the wonderful thing. Actually, in a way, you kind of get to do that when you're just a church member, when you're just a congregant at church. You get to celebrate every good thing that the people there are doing and how wonderful it is, how fantastic you've come to church. It's great. We're so excited. It's fantastic. And the moment there's a problem, well, pastor, this is what we pay you for. Good luck. <laughs> that's right. wonderful. That's that's how it should work. That's it. That's fantastic. You don't have to solve these problems, and neither does your dad. That's great. This is the way it's supposed to work. So get busy with the throwing of the party and leave the discipling to the dude whose job it is to do the discipling. All really fantastic stuff. And Lee, I'd love to, to get you to close out here. And let's go back to First uh, John 5, because uh, Jed put us down a really good path there of realizing what is your job in this situation, what is super not your job in this situation. And actually, when you read First John 5, there's a lot of the confusing bits in there about the sin that leads unto death, but it does actually tell you what you should be doing. Yes, what it says is you should pray. Um, if you see something in somebody's life, your your job, your role is to pray for them. Pray about this situation. Um, lift it up to the Lord and let him get to work on it. It's exactly as these brothers are saying. This is not a carte blanche for you to have confrontation, for you to jump in anybody's face about their stuff. Your job, clearly, from 1 John chapter 5, is to talk to the Lord about it. If you're concerned for somebody, if you see a pattern in somebody's life or whatever, talk to Jesus about that. Let that be your role. Um, and then exactly as Jed's saying, celebrate them, you know, uh, and 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 watch, you know, the other folks in their life who have earned the right to be heard be those people. The the other thing on this is 
for everybody out there who's just itching to have that conversation anyway, despite everything that you've heard Glenn and Jed say, let me just give you a preview of coming attractions. It won't work. Yeah, hello. <laughs> um, here's the thing. They will not listen to you. They will not appreciate it. As Glenn said, this is bad ministry. This is not the way to do this. By the way, the Apostle Paul said, be careful when you do stuff like this, because you're going to be, you're going to wind up tempted in stuff yourself. Yep. Jesus said very clearly in the verse right after Jed quoted from, from Matthew chapter seven, don't talk about the, the little speck of sawdust in your brother's eye if you got a big fat log hanging out of your own eye. First, take care of the log, and then you can see clearly to take care of the sawdust. In other words, you've got your own stuff to worry about. Don't do this. But even if you saw the sawdust, they don't want you to talk to them about it, and they won't listen. Here's something I can tell you from a lot of ministry experience. And this is going to be, this is going to sound crazy, but I promise it, you it's true. Even when, for those of us who are in the business of discipleship, <laughs> even when somebody asks you to your face to give them advice, they still don't listen to you. They still have to go and work it out on their own way, making all the mistakes and everything. Uh, so look, Jesus is clear about it. Paul is clear about it. And for those of us who have done this for a long time, it won't work. Pray about it. Ask God to work in there. As Glenn said, the Holy Spirit is the one who uh, convicts people. And most of the time, people have to make their mistakes, fall on their face, get back up, and work this stuff out through their own process. Absolutely. That is all really fantastic stuff in there. And I'll close out by saying there's actually a little bit of crossover between this and our first question, and it's in this. The idea, you know, my dad said that if they really were Christians, uh uh-oh. There are very yep. few things that the Bible is as you probably don't want to get within a hundred miles of that sin just in case, as questioning whether or not other people are really Christians. There's things about millstones, and there's things about smiting, and there's things about plagues. There's a thing about who are you to judge another man's servant? Yep, that's not that's not good at all. It's bad. It's bad. And again, none of this is really to dump on your dad. We don't know anything about him. This is the only thing we know about him. And he really whiffed on this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he has many other wonderful qualities. Absolutely. I wouldn't want someone to, uh, to the point, I wouldn't want someone to judge me by one of the real dumbest things I've said. Absolutely. So we're not right. doing that. But that's a real miss in the same vein. Yeah. So as we're talking about, you know, praying for people, being the well, that's, this goes back to what uh, Jen and Glenn are talking about. Of, if you're just a lay person in the church, if you're, uh, even if you're kind of the pastor, at least pointing out they're not asking you, you get to just do the, all right, we'll just focus on what's in front of us. It's kind of, you know, we deal with a lot in our, in our day jobs at the bridge of there's a lot of people who, as Glenn would put it, your life has gone from train wreck that is on fire to just normal train wreck. <laughs> we got a long way to go, but we can celebrate that progress. That's right. Last week, you were drunk when you tried to come in. Right. This week, you came in. It's, it's clear you have been drunk today, but you're not drunk now. That's right. And welcome in, brother. Right. Have a <laughs> Wonderful. seat. Have a meal. Let's... You, you are actually running a good race. Yeah. You're, you're, you really have a long way to go, <laughs> but you're doing it. So that's it. Yeah, that, and that's a, a really good kind of life and ministry strategy as well. Look, look for what's going right and celebrate that. It gets yeah. so much further than looking what's going wrong. Because 99 times out of 100... People know what's going wrong. Yep. The idea that, that your, your dad has in this situation that so many people have who just don't do a lot of uh, counseling, don't do a lot of ministry, is this idea of, well, they probably don't even realize. They realize. Yep. Um, it's not working out the way they want. Holy Spirit, again, to go back to the first question, they realize. It's not our job to make them realize. It's our job to point out things. Here's, what ha- here's a lot. People don't realize what they're doing good. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. Yeah. If you made it your goal just to point out where people were succeeding, you would do a lot of surprising people and get a lot done. And as we're pointing out, it's a lot more fun that way. So let's focus there. We're going to move on to our final question. This one came in to our email address, and it says, Last year I spent a ton and time of time and effort getting involved in a ministry. I was trying to get start some new things, but I was the youngest guy involved by 20 years, and there was a lot of apathy and guilt mixed into everything. 
since I've mostly been reaching out since then, I've mostly been reaching out to people in need and doing stuff with my local church. But I'm curious if you guys know of any large organizations or activities that have a solid effort to impact ratio, soup kitchens, Habitat for Humanity, that kind of stuff where I can just show up and plug in. Is that also a good avenue to serve in? And Jen, one starts off. Sure thing. Uh, they certainly can be a great avenue to uh, show up and serve in. Now, of course, it's worth noting they all vary a little bit uh, place to place. Uh, not all soup kitchens are created equal. Not all experiences of Habitat for Humanity are created equal. Um, so you got to try some things. Um, you know, when we get questions related to addiction, we've talked before about the idea of AA is a great resource, but not all AA meetings are created equal. So, right. you know, you do well yeah. to, to try a few and that's fine. That's, that's mm -hmm. good. Same mm -hmm. exact thing here. But there's one thing that we should talk about because because uh, it's really important and you've probably gotten some bad advice, which is um, if you're around church stuff, they talk about the evils of having a consumer mentality. And the idea is um, people expect church to just do something for them. <laughs> and it's like they church shop. They just go from church right. to church until they find a church that just does what they want it to do. And that's a consumer mentality. And it's bad. You may have heard this. It's the, there's a lot of people spouting that. Here's the thing. Every constituent piece of that is wrong. Here's how it actually works. Churches are supposed to do something for you. They are supposed to feed you. They're supposed to equip you. They're supposed to encourage you. Different churches will do that with different degrees of efficacy for different people, because we're not all created the same. If you go to a church and you find this is not feeding or equipping or encouraging me, you should go somewhere else. That's right. really critical. You should have the mentality of one who consumes. You right. should have the mentality of, I need to consume some, some spiritual nourishment. Like to be fed. Spiritual. Yes, I need to be fed. Like I'm a sheep and I someone's feeding my sheep. Exactly right. <laughs> you guys got to stop making this weird crap up. Yeah. I'm a sheep in need of an effective shepherd right. who can help me feed and consume. Mm. It's almost like I have the mentality of a creature that needs to consume, <laughs> and that's appropriate. Well, the same thing, just as that is true in looking for church. A church needs to meet your needs, otherwise you need to find a different church. It's actually just as true in terms of avenues for service. There are setups that will really work for you. They will give you a place to use your talents in a way that resonates with you. They will let you see the impact of what you're doing in a way that, that really resonates with you. There are other avenues for service that won't do those things. The beautiful thing is you can keep looking till you find the one that works for you. And that's great. That's fantastic. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. You don't need to go to the first church you go to for the rest of your life. You don't need to volunteer at the first service opportunity you go to for the rest of your life. You can and should be picky and specific and find the church and the service opportunities that meet your specific um, spiritual and life and growth needs. That's what we want you to do. Absolutely right. I think that's a great place uh, to start this off. And Lee, I'd love to go to you here. I think there's a, a an idea here, and I, but I love what he, uh, the guy who wrote this in is saying about that effort to impact ratio, saying there was, there was a thing where I didn't get that, and I'm looking for something where I can get more of that, and maybe we can look at some common denominators of things that are likely to give you that. Yeah, I, I do love the way that the, that the question asker worded this, because that, that is something that we want to look for. If, if I'm pouring my life into this, I want to make sure that, that something is, is happening because of it. I want to make an impact. I want, I'm doing this because I'm in search of a purpose. For me, um, the most rewarding things that, that I have done ministry-wise are places where people have a lot of need, and um, and that you're able to go in there and serve those needs, and whether that's a physical need or a or a relational need or a um, <clears throat> or a you know a, a spiritual need, you know, knowing you know worship or scripture or whatever, and being able to meet that need and and finding that it makes people grateful, it makes them joyful, it makes them it makes them feel like we have a relationship now. For me, those things um, those things have always been in direct outreach. So um, I've been a Young Life leader for uh, about 15 years now, and 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 for me that experience has been a, just um, it's you know there's been hot and cold there's been all kinds of up and down and that kind of thing but there has been a lot of there are people who need to hear the gospel that are not being reached by any church whatsoever. And so we're going kind of outside of, of what churches do to find people on the fringe and to, to meet those specific needs. Um, and one of the cool things that I've found about direct outreach ministry is that the other people that involved in it are 
are not apathetic, that they are also kind of united in that purpose and they're fired up about it. It's impossible to leave a ministry situation like that and not feel like you're floating down the walk as you're going back out because the need is great and the people are so thankful. And so for me, in my experience, I've always found that stuff on kind of an outreach tip or places where there's a lot of need. Um, people that are that are outsiders, people with different kinds of very specific needs. And so I would look for that kind of a ministry to find that, that as you say, effort impact ratio. That's a lot of really, really good stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to close out here. One thing I, I think it's worth looking at as you know, for the question talked about, you know, are things like a soup kitchen or a habitat community a good avenue to serve after having had a bad uh, experience with a ministry is I think it's worth looking at a, the difference between those two terminologies or right. place where you can plug in and serve. Yeah. And that's great. And build a house. And, but that's not really, really ministry. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we may right. be looking for at two different things here. Right. Well, that's right. Uh, the, Often we're speaking in sweeping generalizations here, but often the best ministries there are are the toughest to plug into. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the reason why is they may be protecting their people from people who want to volunteer who either are weirdos or uh, are not really committed. Mm-hmm. So they want to see a certain level of commitment before they allow you to really participate in, in the deepest sort of ways. So that means that showing a consistency may be the biggest key to you getting into that, as, as you put it, sort of that effort to impact ratio, which I, I think is an awesome way of looking at things. Yes, and I returned the email I informed that that's already stolen. That's yeah, that's now. that's yeah. We 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 own that now. Uh, but it, it, here's the thing: is uh, give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, we have a bridge service uh, every Tuesday. It's a service for guys coming out of jail, coming off the streets, coming out of drug addiction. Uh, I say guys, but I mean uh, men and women. That's a, that's my Southernism kind of coming out there. And lots of years of prison ministry. That's right. But here's what happens is uh, we have a, a praise and worship service that will ma- melt the paint off the walls in most churches, and that's led by one uh, Jedrick Brewer. And I've heard it'll turn goat urine into gasoline. Is that true? That's that's definitely true. Oh, but known to happen. Um, But... The thing is, people come in and they really love it, and they really want to be a part of that. They they want to be uh, near the nerve center of that sort of activity, and uh, some of them play a little instrument, mm-hmm. and so they come up to Jed and say, "Well, you know, I just I just want to, I just want to stand near you <laughs> while you do it, and then that it'll be almost like it's happening to me." Sure. And here's the thing, Jed has a standard line with them. Uh, we like to see people come uh, consistently over six months, and then we start to take a look at that. Uh, that is a long, long way from a no. That That's actually a, sure, we're interested. We'd yeah. like to look at that. It, you know, we if you come for the next six months, we'll do that will put you in line for that consideration. That has basically not ever happened. Yeah. You know, because people look at that and say, well, I don't want to have to show consistency, so I'm out. You know, that's it. Well, uh, that's their choice, and we don't judge them for it. But that's, uh, you know, we have to weed out people who are just playing around with this and want to dabble and stuff. So I think the same thing for you. If you want to find that high uh, effort-to-impact ratio, you want to look at being willing to show a consistency and a willing to kind of uh, earn your way on and work your way up. And it's worth doing. I had to do that when I started as a prison ministry volunteer. Uh, they they really took me over the hurdles, and you know they I had to be there every week for a certain amount of time for them to really see this is something I was going to be consistent in. But it paid off. It was it was the best ministry that I could have possibly done as a volunteer, and then later as a career. Uh, here's the other thing: is I think it's really important for you to learn the difference between what feels like a big impact and what is a big impact. Very, very big difference. For example, uh, we're talking about the other day um, uh, recruiting people to help us drive the vans uh, to to and from our bridge service. Here's the thing. That doesn't sound like a lot of ministry. You go to a place, you pick them up, you put them in the van, you drive them. One of the one of the most important ministry times I have all week is I drive home our deacons. You know, these are people who help us. 
they're products of the ministry and they help us with the service and they're leaders within that service. They do stuff on the mic and all of that. And I drive them home at the end of the night. And that time that I have with them in the car, just me and them, that's the, that's the best part of the night, to be deadly honest with you, for me. And the, the most ministry is happening in that moment. And sometimes we're just laughing and just talking about life. Sometimes we're talking about the service. Sometimes we're talking about our week. And it's always fantastic. The idea that you could look at that and say, uh, I don't want to do the driving stuff. I want to do like the, the spectacular stuff. Or the good I, stuff. I want to do the good stuff. Sometimes those little jobs that look like there's not a lot to it, and, and again, sort of that uh, impact uh, uh, for that effort looks a little low. It looks like it's kind of a humble, small thing. Sometimes that's the big stuff. If you're setting up the chairs before the service and you're talking to somebody who's sitting there that came a little early and you're getting a little conversation going, that might be as much, if not more, impact on that person's life than what's happening from the pulpit. So I would really have you uh, 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 adjust that thinking and, and see things from the Lord's perspective of what really makes a big impact. I think it's a really fantastic point to close that on, and I would, I would kind of build on that by saying it's also, because we're talking about someone who's looking to do stuff in a volunteer capacity here, which most uh, of our listeners are probably going to be as opposed to vocational folks, it is the responsibility of the staff and the people who get paid at a place to make it so that the volunteers can come in and succeed. Right. That's the, the, we have our, our people who drive. We have our, our host team every week who uh, Jane does a great job booking and Hallie does a fantastic job working with once they get there. And that's a turnkey operation. That's, that's yeah. meant for you to show up literally, you know, 45 minutes before the service starts and leave 30 minutes after it ends. Uh, you're on site for maybe two and a half hours, but it's a lot of service that gets done and there can be a lot of ministry getting done because the people in charge, and that being Glenn and Jane, when they envisioned the service, set it up that way. So we yeah. want to set this this way so people can come in, get a vision of what we're doing, step right in and have this way. Um, and that's something you want to look at when you're looking for that effort to impact ratio. If you're a volunteer, you say, you know, I work 40, 50 hours a week. I've got a family. I've got, but I want to do something. I want to have this kind of impact, even if it, you know, as Glenn's saying, you want to be clear on what impact is, mm -hmm. but once you have that vision in your mind, it's nothing wrong as, as all these guys have said with looking for that and being kind of greedy for it. Yeah. If I could real quick Absolutely. jump onto that it, to give you a, a, another example, if we have a, a volunteer that might help, for example, we have volunteers that help with, I have uh, housing needs or I have job, I need a job and they have information and they go over that information with that individual. That feels like there's no ministry happening to that. We're not talking about Jesus, and it's just turnkey. It's all, it's all printed out on a piece of paper. I just go over the paper with him. But here's the thing. That guy will go back to that residential drug rehab that we brought him from, and he says, the bridge is the most amazing place filled with the most amazing people who love people, yep. and they helped me. And the next week, that van load is full. Mm -hmm. That's that's a, you're getting as much ministry done in that time frame as anybody else in that operation. But you have to have eyes to see that. Absolutely, I, I, would, I would close up by by kind of again tying that thought to you. Um, again, this is this is in the question. It was a little deep in the email, but it wasn't worth going into the specifics. Really, of someone saying, you know, I spent a lot of time and in, in involved in this, and I tried to get something started. As Glenn has pointed out many times on the show and to a ministry professionals he works with. There is nothing more complicated in ministry than starting new program from the ground up. Right, definitely. That's like insane next level staffs full, staffs full of people get hired to do that. Right. And it's awesome if you can pull it off. So one, I would say that if you, as Glenn is pointing out, if any of what you did in that other thing involves at any point sitting down across from someone and talking to them, it did a lot. So don't discount that. But also, again, it's... I don't, I don't know anything about this ministry where you did this stuff. I, I don't want to disparage anyone. But to me, that doesn't scream a, a ministry that is has the focus on getting the most out of its the talents of its volunteers. Right. I say, I don't know. Why don't you start this whole new thing and be the one who figures it out? That's not... It sounds like that's not what you're looking for. So folks can come in, say, go over here, swing the hammer. We'll have a house at the end of it. What, as we're saying with, with the music stuff, once you've been here for six months, a year, maybe you want to come help us out on the board and we'll figure out new and innovative ways to swing hammers. But for now that uh, to, to Glenn's point about, it doesn't always feel like you're doing a lot. You say, well, I just kind of showed up and they told me to go over here and I did that. And they told me to move this and I did that. 
if it's an organization you believe in that and you can see some finished product in, that's great and a great place to start. And it's a thing worth being greedy for with your time. All right. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, or take out the song this week. This is from our March 2018 Bridge Boxes from our friends Pete and Tasha Lawson. A song called Start My Days. Woo. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, yeah. we love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. Coming this summer, help socially confident Christian man. It's a 12 part sermon series on the book of numbers. Everyone's so sleepy. Yes. <laughs> yes. The hardest part is over. A better life is up ahead. After crying on your shoulder, going to a new world instead. Because I've been here for too long to stay there wallowing with the mud and swine. An adventure around the corner, all the treasure waits for me to find. So I'll start my days with a promise from the Lord, saying I'll be with you always to the end of the age. I'll start my days with a promise from the Lord, saying you will not grow weary, you will not grow A new owner To Jesus is my loyalty owed Because I've been here for too long To stay there wallowing with the mud and swine